What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hey, folks, before we begin the show, a couple of housekeeping notes for those of you on the podcast. You can call into my program Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern Time by calling 1-800-WSB-TALK and join the program. You can listen live at wsbradio.com or stick with the podcast if you like. Also, remember to check out our weekly sponsor for the podcast. If you go to them following the link, this week's sponsor is blueapron.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K. It is a fantastic way to help the resurgent. The more you guys shop with our sponsors, the more sponsors we get, the more it helps the resurgent long-term. It also helps the Eric Erickson Show. Thanks so much for listening. Now on with the show. Good evening. It is nine after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson, and this is WSB. Look, we got a bifurcated show tonight, distinctly bifurcated. I want to spend the first hour tonight on the gun control issue, the CNN forum, the president's meeting today and whatnot. We'll get into local with legislative stuff, including uh, there's been uh, some advancement in the legislature on gun issues here. I'll get into in the second hour. Uh, the phone number here, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Before I get into all of the details of the CNN uh, forum last night, the town hall, I got to I got to deal with this audio. Uh, Colton Hab, who suggested that CNN had so only wanted scripted questions. This is burning up the airwaves among conservative media. And it is being, I think, uh, willfully distorted for confirmation bias purposes. Listen to this audio. You probably have heard it already today. Expected to be able to ask my questions and give my opinion on my questions. But Colton Hobb, a member of the junior ROTC who shielded classmates in the midst of terror, says he did not get to share his experience. CNN had originally asked me to write a speech and questions, and it ended up being off scripted. Colton wrote questions about school safety, suggested using veterans as armed school security guards, but claimed CNN wanted him to ask a scripted question instead, so he decided not to go. I don't think that it's going to get anything accomplished. It's not going to ask the true questions that all the parents and teachers and students have. Now, I want to go back and play a key portion here to explain to you what's going on and why this is, I think, being so distorted um, by people attacking CNN. Um, there's a lot to criticize, I think, last night, but this isn't one of them. Listen again, key portion here, pay attention. Expected to be able to ask my questions and give my opinion on... Ask questions and give my opinion on the question. I have, you know, I was for three years at CNN before I went to Fox. I have participated in CNN town halls. Uh, I understand how they do things. And let me explain to you what's happening here. And and I don't discount Colton Hab. I, I don't want anyone to think I'm accusing him of lying. I don't. I think he just misunderstood or we are misunderstanding him. CNN understands it's got lawmakers at a town hall. 
and they want to make sure that they get, uh, I'm trying not to use gun euphemisms here, but uh, given the topic, but uh, the most bang for the buck. They want to make sure that when a question is asked, it's not easy to elicit a yes or no answer. They want the politician to have to delve into it without a yes or no answer. Uh, when I interview these gubernatorial candidates, it's the same way. And one of the things that they got to make sure of is that when they're allowing people to ask questions, those people don't take the microphone and just monologue. They got a limited amount of time. They want a, a, a substantive answer from a politician uh, without allowing them off easy with yes or no. And they want the, the people who are asking questions to ask a concise, well-formed question with no ambiguity. So what they do in these situations is they ask the people present to write out their view and their questions. And then the CNN folks, the producers can read what the person's opinion and view was so that they understand the presuppositions that the person is making for their questions. And then they can take the people's questions if they, if they need to be tighter questions and they can help the person tighten up the question and ask a better question. There's a real difference between just asking a run of the mill question and asking a very sharp, uh, tightly packaged question that puts a politician in a revealing moment. And that's what they're trying to help these people do. That's what they were trying to help Colin Hab do. It, it was not his time to monologue. It was not his time to give dissertations. It, it was not his time to ask 20 questions. It was his time to ask a sharply worded question to politicians on gun control, gun safety, and why not have armed guards in school? And they needed him to ask it in such a way that it didn't take a minute, two minutes, five minutes for him to ask. And it didn't allow the people on stage to give an easy, easy out answer. That's what was happening here. And I would tell you that when I heard this story this morning, first of all, I, I've been to enough of these CNN things to know what they do and why they do it, uh, to know that this is what I do. I mean, for example, you never heard people asking questions of the, the gubernatorial candidates that I've interviewed. It's because I had people pre-submit their questions and was able to lump them together and say, all these people want to know about taxes. They're going after these angles. These people are asking about transportation from these angles. I learned that from being at CNN. I don't want to hand a random guest at a show a microphone because they're going to spend five minutes uh, turning it into their own show as opposed to asking a question. Never surrender the microphone unless you have a pre-scripted question. And that's what CNN was doing. There's no conspiracy there to only put uh, anti-gun people there. That's what wound up happening, though. Yes, it was totally anti-gun last night, and I'm sorry. I'm having a real hard time having sympathy and compassion for a group of high school students who would look at Dana Lash and ridicule the story of a rape victim who wished she had had a gun to protect herself. I have no sympathy for people who would look at Marco Rubio and say, I see you pulling the trigger. I have no sympathy for people who believe that anyone who owns a gun is a murderer. And I think to the extent that CNN was able to, to move the ball last night, it moved the ball in the direction of, of no compromise on guns. 
And the reason I think this had nothing to do with CNN, listen, people tend to be polite. Even in an in-your-face culture, they tend to be in-your-face online anonymously and not in-your-face in person except in rare circumstance. And all of these kids go to school together. And this town hall was largely billed by CNN as an advocacy night. And let no one pretend otherwise. It was advocacy on guns. So it would have been, I think, difficult to get a bunch of uh, pro-gun advocates in the room who are surrounded by their peers who they've just been through a traumatic experience with and say, I think they're wrong. There are other opportunities for that. In fact, we do know a number of students from the Parkland High School have come forward and said they actually want more guns in their schools. They, they want armed guards. They want the teachers to have concealed carry. They'd like to be able to concealed carry. Uh, we, we know this. We know that this has happened. Uh, they're out there. They're not going to get the media exposure that the anti-gun kids are getting. But frankly, I think the anti-gun kids are beginning to hurt their cause. The anti-gun kids, I think, are beginning to hurt the causes of Heidi Heitzkamp and John Tester and Clara McCaskill and Joe Donnelly and, and Joe Manchin, all of whom are Democrats from pro-gun, red-leaning states that Donald Trump won, who are trying to get back to the United States Senate. Do they really think a gun compromise is going to be possible with these people this year? And they may get primaried because of it and have a more radical Democrat win. The Democrats know they are playing with fire here and they can't help themselves. The media isn't smart enough to realize that and just wants to gin up controversy. Most of the media is anti-gun. Now, I got to say, I, I I don't think it was useful or helpful or edifying to, to have people at the CPAC conference today uh, saying the media loves mass shootings. I know a number of reporters who cover mass shootings. They do not love them. And I know there's a perception on the right right now, just as there was on the left during the, the Bush days of the war, that the media loves this stuff because it gives them good ratings. And I don't actually believe that's true. I've been in the media long enough to, to think that's not true. There will always be something to give good ratings. The Trump administration itself gives the best ratings. And if anything, this is distracting from those ratings. But I definitely think the media and I think CNN is in danger of wobbling into the advocacy mode and really risk jeopardizing uh, the ability to have the conversation everyone claims they want, an honest conversation about guns. And frankly, uh, I'm not willing to go along with a lot of the solutions, including raising the age to 21 to buy a rifle. I am opposed to that and want to explain to you why when we come back. Folks, I wanted to do a quick timeout to tell you about this week's sponsor, Blue Apron. You probably have heard of Blue Apron. You've seen their advertisements. I have to tell you, I have tried several of their competitors and then tried Blue Apron, and it is fantastic. Um, a lot of people, you're confused because there are so many of these services out there. If you don't know what Blue Apron is... It is a great company that sends you recipes to your house and not just the recipes, but all the ingredients. In fact, Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. Their mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. You guys know I like to cook and Blue Apron makes it really easy and they have great plans to choose from. A two-person meal plan, a family meal plan, a wine plan. My family does the family meal plan. We get two meals a week for four people. 
We've done the uh, soy glazed chicken. We've done the um, beef medallions with pan sauce. Last week, we did the Mexican casserole. It's all delicious, and all the ingredients come in the box. They make it really easy for you. In fact, ours shows up on a Thursday uh, by FedEx, and we're ready to cook, and it's good to go. Really delicious recipes, easy to follow along as well. If you're hesitant about cooking, you want to try something a little more than the basics, Blue Apron is the way to go, and Blue Apron is treating listeners of the Eric Erickson Show to $30 off your first order if you visit blueapron.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K. So check out this week's menu and get your $30 off at blueapron.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Blue Apron is a better way to cook. And think of it this way. Even the federal government says they want to model a plan after Blue Apron. So go to blueapron.com slash Eric. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm about to increase your wokeness by orders of magnitude. I freaking love the NBC News Think section. It is comedy gold, and today is a true gem that will increase your wokeness by about 75%. Headline! The patriarchal race to colonize Mars is just another example of male entitlement. (laughs) Oh my gosh. The subtitle, the presumed right to use and abuse something and then walk away to conquer something new is a hallmark of colonialism. What does a, I'm sorry. I have to do my feminist voice. Angry feminist. What does a midlife crisis look like in the 21st century? Frittering away your life savings on a red sports car is so last century. Instead, today's man who is grappling with the limitations of his mortality spends $90 million on a rocket to launch a $100,000 electric car helmed by a robot by the name of Starman into space. (laughs) Oh, God. This Columbusine attitude, a strident business acumen laced with an imperialist ethos, comes with an air of benevolence. Elon Musk doesn't just want to colonize Mars to satisfy his ego, no! He wants to colonize Mars to help his fellow humans. But wait, it gets better! Listen to the angry feminist. The Friday before SpaceX's launch, legendary astronaut Buzz Aldrin reiterated to me over lunch that it is imperative that we talk about space exploration in terms of migration rather than using words like colonize or settle. Through a feminist lens, Aldrin's deliberate word choice reveals an important reality. The 21st century form of imperialism is the direct result of men giving up on the planet they have all but destroyed. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Y'all, I'm still laughing. Um, <laughs> the, the the Mars colonization piece at NBC News' Think website. The last two lines are, 
this Houston, we do have a problem. The patriarchy. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. All right. There are two developments you need to know about at, at uh, the, the Parkland High School um, shooting. Um, the security footage being fed to police of the shooting was on a 26-minute delay. So when the police stormed the building looking for an active shooter, he was already gone, but on the security footage, he was still shooting. So the police couldn't find him, and he was able to get away. And now we know the resource officer, who could hear the shooting and hear the kids screaming, stood outside for four minutes before going in while junior ROTC students were rushing in with Kevlar mats to try to protect their friends. Just amazing. Wow. Um, one of the things that Marco Rubio said he would compromise on at the CNN forum last night was um, raising the age for long barrel guns to 21. And a lot of people support that. Jeff Flake says he supports it. The president says he supports it. In fact, a staffer at the White House texted me on my way home from, had an HLN appearance with Carol Costello earlier. And a White House staffer texted me on the way home and said, we got to do something. The president uh, is supporting this. We got to stop this. White House staff really concerned the president's going to cave on this issue. I'm opposed to it. And it, it is a, against the law for anyone under the age of 21 for buying a handgun in this country. The reason I'm opposed to prohibiting 18-year-olds from buying rifles is because my children now are 9 and 12, and since they were both 6, I've taken them shooting with a 22 rifle uh, bought from a Sears and Roebuck catalog in the 1950s, which their grandmothers, and they both enjoyed They're both very, very accurate in their shooting. I mean, seriously consistent bullseyes. Both of them. It took the younger one some time to even think he wanted to do it. Um, and, but both of them have taken to it. My daughter now, um, we have a 22 handgun that she uses. And they don't necessarily need handguns. But if they want to hunt or they want to competitively shoot, yes, they can borrow one of my rifles. But what about when they go to college? Um, I had friends in college who hunted and they brought their guns to college with them, their rifles, so they could in middle Georgia with friends go hunting. They couldn't do that if they weren't in their name. They couldn't do that if they couldn't buy them. And I think we do have a sport and hunting culture. And if anything, the, the AR-15 that, that gets all of the blame, the, the so-called assault rifle 15, that's it's actually Armalite, not assault rifle gets all the blame. It's the spooky looking gun. It looks like a military style gun, even though it's not. I mean, the, the bullet is smaller than the bullet you would use to kill a deer. And most of the people who want to do these things, they don't actually hunt. They, they don't actually uh, do sports shooting. They don't do recreational shooting. They don't do any of these things. And this is an area where there's so much policy confusion yeah, I, I'm opposed to raising the age limit for 18-year-olds because, yes, there are always going to be a few bad people. 
But I think if you can vote, you can be called up to the military service. You should be able to buy guns. Frankly, I think we should lower the drinking age to 18, too, because I think you ought to be able to buy beer if you can vote and, and uh, be drafted in the military. But if you're con- if you're an adult at 18 and you get access to all of your constitutional rights, one of your constitutional rights is, th- is to keep and bear arms. So you should be able to do that at 18. And I don't think that all of the, the millions of responsible teenagers who are out hunting, recreational shooting, sports shooting, should be punished because of some monsters. I don't think they should. And that's where I stand on the issue. So here's the situation now that we know. Um, The FBI also got multiple reports that the shooter was trouble. We now know he was with a family before the last family. After his mother died, he was with a different family. Uh, And he had to be placed elsewhere because he was pointing guns at people. At one point, held a gun to someone's head and, and threatened them. And they reported him to authorities. They reported him to authorities. He was reported to the FBI. This is a complete breakdown of law enforcement. It is a complete breakdown of law enforcement for failing to follow up. It is a complete breakdown of law enforcement for failing to engage. It is a complete failure of law enforcement for uh, not doing something to prevent this kid from getting a gun when all of the signs were there that he was trouble and he could have in some way been flagged in Florida, under Florida law to prevent him from being able to do this. It was a failure from the standpoint of they had a 26-minute delay on the security footage so that when police did engage in the building, He was already gone and they thought he was still there. Credit to Dana Lash on the CNN town hall last night for being one of the few people to confront the Broward County Sheriff's Office or anyone else with the complete failure of law enforcement. This was not a this was not a banner day for anyone. But I'll tell you this, um, who's more at fault for this tragedy happening? Beyond the shooter, it's not the NRA. It's law enforcement and failure that failed every step of the way. And that's a fact that people don't want to talk about. It's it's something people want to dance around. But the fact of the matter is every step of the way, law enforcement, resource officers, government employees failed, 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 failed. And 17 kids died. You're not going to stop monsters from getting weapons but you probably could have stopped this one from getting a weapon. And yet the system didn't work the way it was designed to work. And yet you still think the system is going to be able to figure out a way to stop this. Hilarious. So I am going through... Um, the NBC database of all the Russian tweets. And there are several where um, I said something critical of Laura Ingram, um, one of her ridiculous defenses of Donald Trump and the Russian trolls rushed to her defense against me. Uh, (laughs) There are several of them, though, retweeting me as well uh, about Atlanta stuff. As they try to foment um, intrigue in the Atlanta area, harassing CNN, uh, claiming Black Lives Matter's actions were happening in Atlanta and whatnot. Um, it's just very, very, very humorous um, to, to see uh, them defending uh, 
people like Laura Ingram against me and then trying to foment distrust and disrupt uh, in the metro Atlanta area. Uh, when we come back, I want to pivot uh, to the legislature. There have been a number of actions today in the state house, uh, including moving forward with bond money to make capital improvements to schools for school safety. They have passed a big tax cut in the state house today that hasn't gotten a lot of attention. Uh, not just uh, to make even break even on the windfall issue from the federal tax reform, but actually to lower taxes in Georgia. And then there are those two pieces of legislation we spend some time on. There's the puppy mill legislation, and y'all, it is the funniest story. Please stick around for this. The twist in the puppy mill legislation is actually really, really, really funny what has happened. And there's also the education school choice legislation from West Cantrell. And I need to bring you up to speed on that and try to get you to support it and get the legislature to support it as local public school superintendents are coming out against allowing parents any school choice. Welcome back. It is nine after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson. This is the second hour of Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Um, I want to get into, as I said, local issues in this hour. In particular, two pieces of legislation we've spent some time on. I want to bring you up to speed. Um, the first one I haven't talked about in a few weeks that is West Cantrell's legislation. It's House Bill 482. This is school choice legislation. Let me remind you um, what this legislation is. It would only apply to 4,500 students. Those students are students prioritized based on um, their mental ability, if they're in the special needs classrooms, uh, their poverty, the status of their failing schools. It would only be 4,500 students. The first year, it would escalate over time one quarter of 1% of students each year. It would, Essentially, what West Control is proposing is we do a school choice plan and we only use 4,500 students so that we're, if, if it winds up, if there's some unforeseen circumstance, let's reconsider this. But this is happening all over the country now, this piece of legislation. And he wants Georgia to go on board with it. Now, what is this legislation? It would create educational scholarship accounts where, you know, and, and we've talked about this plenty of times in other circumstances on the show, that you have the state sends a public school money for each child in the school. If the child moves away from that school, that money moves away. If the child leaves in the middle of the year, the money goes away in the middle of the year whenever it happens. And what West Cantrell is proposing is instead of taking the money away from a school, having this money follow the student around, let the parents put the money in an educational scholarship account. And they would be restricted on what they could use that money for. They could use it to pay for the child to go to a private school that is willing to use the state uh, testing mandates, which a lot of private schools already do. The parents could use the money. If they decide to homeschool their kid, they could use the money for the cost of homeschooling. Or if their child is gifted, let their child go into a college program and use that to subsidize the cost of the college program or save the money 
pay for everything out of pocket in undergrad or in, in high school and then use that money to help offset the cost of tuition for college. That's all it does. Only applies to 4,500 kids. It allows the parents to control the money that comes from the state that follows the child around in education and says they can use it to cover the, these costs. Well, it has advanced in the House of Representatives. It has been favorably received by Republicans. It has bipartisan support. There are a number of Democrats who are supporting it. But I'm told that a number of school superintendents around the state are ambushing the chairman of the Rules Committee and the chairman of the House Education Committee, demanding that they kill this piece of legislation. Public school superintendents, they think it is a dangerous precedent to allow parents to spend taxpayer money on their child's education. They think only they should be allowed to spend money on a child's education. Parents are not allowed. And that's one of the big problems we have. Stacey Abrams and I actually talked about this when she was here, um, talking about how in some cases there is a, 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 a disregard for parents in the education process. And West Cantrell's legislation would allow parents to take responsibility for their child's education in a way they couldn't in Georgia. It's being adopted all over the country now, this plan. It's being embraced. It's been shown to work in places to improve education for kids. And so some superintendents are rallying. So I need you to text the word HOPE to 52886. And then I'll get you into our action center so that you can tell members of the state house to support House Bill 482, that's West Cantrell's legislation, and get it to the floor of the house for a vote. Now, the other piece of legislation we got to talk about is the puppy mill legislation. And I got to tell you, I'm laughing at this one. Let me explain to you what's going on. There's been a new twist in the puppy mill legislation. So we've got Senate Bill 418 and House Bill 948. They're the same legislation. Uh, the one in the House has advanced a little further. They both now, though, they're, they're stuck in their various rules committees. Um, and new lobbyists are coming in to try to sweet-talk legislators into releasing the legislation and bringing it up to a vote. This is the puppy mill legislation. Again, it's, it's Senate Bill 418. House Bill 948. Well, there's a new twist. It may no longer be puppy mill legislation. What I am hearing is that the, um, this, I'm sorry, this one makes me laugh. So the tobacco lobbyists, I'm not making this up, y'all. I'm really not. The tobacco lobbyists have realized that if the puppy mill legislation passes, they could have a legislative way to prevent local governments from cracking down on tobacco sales. And the marijuana advocates, again, I'm not making this up, the marijuana advocates have realized that if Georgia ever gets expansive on marijuana, that this piece of legislation would be useful for them. So they are, the marijuana lobbyists and the tobacco lobbyists, are trying to convince the state house and the state senate to specifically exempt puppy mills from the legislation. So get rid of puppy mills and say, this legislation has nothing to do with puppy mills. Puppy mills can be regulated, but then still pass the legislation so that local governments wouldn't be able to stop the sale of marijuana and local governments wouldn't be able to stop the sale of tobacco products. Now, 
Why is that still bad? I realize we got a lot of people here who, who listen to this program and are like, well, you don't like tobacco. Some of you like marijuana. You'd be okay with this. The problem is it's still a huge power grab by the state, even if they somehow put in language that would make it very clear it doesn't apply to puppy mills. It's still a huge, massive power grab from local governments. And the local governments in this state are able to ensure the health and safety of their citizens better than the state government can. That is why every city has a police department, every county has a county sheriff, and then you have the state police, but you don't have the state police everywhere. Why? Because uh, local law enforcement, local regulation of business tends to work better for the health and safety welfare concerns of the citizens. That's why this is still a bad piece of legislation. I just find it hilarious that the tobacco lobbyists and the marijuana lobbyists have looked at this and said, hey, if we can get them to, to exclude puppy mills, we can use this legislation for ourselves. <laughs> so, I mean, this is just, this is how the sausage is made, folks. It's just so funny watching this. I still think it's a bad piece of legislation on the federalism issue. Uh, I realize that cities and states are uh, subsidiaries of the state. They are subsidiary entities created by the state. But there is something to be said for local control. I support local control. Um, right now, the puppy mill language is still in there. I, I really, really, really encourage you guys to text WSB to 52886. Uh, make it very clear to your members of the state legislature that this is a bad piece of legislation and that they should reject it. It is held up in the Rules Committee. But again, a, a friend of mine at the legislature told me that the the tobacco lobbyists and the marijuana lobbyists have now descended on the state capitol trying to get this bill through. Uh, they're working with the puppy mill lobbyists, but they're willing to stab the puppy mill lobbyists in the back to get it for themselves. Uh, you could, you know, someone could really turn this into a soap opera. They really could. Let me bring you up to speed on another piece of local legislation. The Georgia House has passed a plan to give a tax uh, cut to Georgia families and stop the potential windfall in state tax revenue. Uh, the bill passed 134 to 36. It heads to the Senate. It's House Bill 918, uh, which you probably will remember, if nothing else, is that because of the Trump tax reform plan in Washington, you can no longer do certain deductions on your taxes. Everybody gets a bigger standard deduction. Uh, not everybody will benefit with itemized deductions anymore. As a result, uh, it looked like Georgia could have a huge windfall of money because people would be taking the larger standard deduction on their federal taxes because it would benefit them there, and then they would wind up uh, having to pay state taxes because of uh, not taking itemized deductions. So the governor had originally said he wanted to put this off for a year. Let's see what actually happens. Uh, but there was a big consensus among Republicans in the state legislature, including those running for governor, <clears throat> Casey Cagle, Michael Williams, um, that they really wanted to go on and do something now. Uh, in fact, Cagle and Williams have been pretty vocal about this originally, uh, saying we needed to go on and try to figure something out. Uh, the lieutenant governor had at first publicly supported the governor's decision to wait, but came back and said, you know, there there's consensus among the Senate senators, Republicans and Democrats alike, uh, to do something. And then the same thing happened in the House. Republicans and Democrats wanted to do something. Uh, so they passed this legislation. It will eliminate the potential revenue windfall, but it also cuts state income taxes by $516 million over five years. 
Some of the Democrats said they were moving too fast, Did sailed through within 48 hours, wasn't a lot of inspection. So some of the Democrats were saying this could come back to bite us, uh, putting them in the position in five years to raise taxes. But that'll be someone else's problem, won't it? Uh, but th- what they also did is they eliminated the sales tax on jet fuel. Delta had wanted this. Now, some of you will say this is crony capitalism, and it's true. I would just point out, though, uh, that it will ultimately cause Delta to lower prices out of Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta is the only aviation hub for an airline in the country that taxes jet fuel. And yes, it is totally crony capitalism. It is totally uh, picking winners and losers. It is totally to benefit Delta. But ultimately, it will trickle. the cost will trickle down to... Uh, you if you fly a lot. So I'm not terribly opposed considering the amount of travel I am doing over the next month. Y'all, I got to be in California every week next month. Uh, Every week. Uh, um, We got guest hosts lined up just in case something happens with my flights. I intend to still be doing my show, but I got to go to San Francisco uh, next week to speak to the American Bar Association. The next week I'm on Real Time with Bill Maher. The next week I'm speaking at the Reagan Library. And actually, the, the week after that, I finally get to have spring break. Thank goodness. Uh, in any event, when we come back, I want to circle now back to the first hour and talk about guns some more, including passage locally in Georgia and the state house, some measures to beef up gun security or school security, I guess I should say. Welcome back. 39 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Uh, Greg Bluestein reports the Georgia House will set aside $8 million in bond funding to pay for school security improvements in response to growing concerns about keeping public schools safe from mass shootings. House Speaker David Ralston's office said Thursday the money would pay for capital improvements and not personnel hires. Though the specifics haven't been finalized, this means it could fund new metal detectors, security cameras, new locks and doors and other improvements. The money would come from a pot of at least $50 million in discretionary spending. So I haven't talked a lot about this issue and want to not delve deeply into the issue. Um, But uh, Christy and I are thinking of moving our kids to a different school. Uh, And the kids went to check out the school today. And I thought it was very interesting that it is uh, completely on lockdown, which I, I'm their their school has not been uh, so much in this regard. The you have to buzz in to get through the front door, and then if you want to get into the elementary wing, you have to have someone who has a key to open those doors. They can be open from the inside; they can't be open from the outside. And then uh, the individual classroom doors are locked. Um, and it is just something that they implemented at this school. And I was actually, I, I was surprised to see it. It is not an easy navigation at this place, uh, at all. Um, and I suspect, I mean, even our kids current school, I, I'm, I know of more than one person who, who is employed there who can, well, let's just say they're, they can take care of situations, um, you know, one of the things that, that I've noticed about this gun debate is, I mean, for example, I, I had some guy over in Alabama lecturing me on social media last night that I, I don't need semi-automatic guns, whatever. 
I, I don't know that this person even knows what a semi-automatic versus an automatic versus a single shot is. But I guess he just thinks we need a, a, a single shot 22, like the one we've taught our kids on, a, a 22 rifle bought in a Sears and Roebuck catalog from the 1950s that's a single shot. And um, I don't know that they know what it means. And I got to tell you, I was always skeptical of guns. Christy was much more into guns than I was. And we had people show up on our front porch to threaten us in 2016. And yeah, I figured I needed to get up on guns. I, I needed to figure out what I was doing. I needed training. I needed a gun. Uh, I needed to be able to keep my family safe because, you know, I mean, this is what I hear liberals say all the time is, well, you got 911, call 911. Well, by the time 911 gets you there, guess what? You're dead. It's no longer a, a preventative thing. It's a crime scene. And if it's going to be a crime scene, I would rather it be self-defense where it's not really a crime scene uh, than be me or my kids hurt. And I really, so there was a huge uh, rally. Well, I shouldn't say huge rally at the state capitol. Some of the pictures made it look larger than it actually was. Um, it wasn't that huge of a rally of, of moms demand action and they want gun control in Georgia. You're not going to get gun control in Georgia nor do you need to get gun control in Georgia. Uh, if anything, I am of the mind that we have a lot of veterans, some of whom are retired, some of whom are, are looking for work, and they could be trained, and we could post them in schools. You don't even have to do it in every school if people know there's that deterrent. I mean, look at the air marshal program. We allow people with, with guns on planes to stop terrorists and you don't know what planes they're on. Why, why not have a school marshal program? Seems like that would be advisable. But again, it's essentially we're in this all or nothing situation, which reminds me, full circle now, for those of you who weren't here in the first hour, I was on CNN earlier talking about this issue. Look, so I'm going to tip my hat to Carol Costello. I was on HLN uh, today with her in studio at Studio 7 at CNN, and we had a very good, respectful conversation on guns. She did not know, for example, I was saying, oh, we really need to have the states do this. And she said, well, you can't because you could go to another state, buy a gun and bring it back to your state. And she didn't know that that's not possible. And I suspect many of you don't know that as well. Uh, if I were to go to Alabama to buy a gun uh, the and show my Georgia driver's license, the gun store uh, owner in Alabama couldn't give me the gun to take home. He would have to send it to someone who has a federal firearms license in Georgia and would have to, if Georgia was more restrictive in guns in Alabama, um, take off those things Georgia didn't allow before he could ship the gun. So when I got it in Georgia, it would be uh, legal in Georgia. So if, if for example, I, I buy something here and want it sent to California, it's got to go to a California uh, FFL, and they got to take everything off that California won't allow. And I suspect most people don't know that. And just it was a real tip of the hat to Carol Costello to allow me, uh, without having to do a sound bite, to explain that and, and note even that if you're going to another state, you got a fake ID to buy the gun and it, it purports to be in that state. Well, that person's not going to respect the law anyway. There's no, you're not going to, you're going to have compliance problems to begin with. And they're not even going to probably be able to do it because you're going to be entering their information in and it's not going to be able to clear the instant background check. So 
Um, it was useful to have that conversation. She didn't know um, and wasn't belligerent to me. She appreciated me um, explaining that on air. It was a, I wish we could have conversations like that on a more regular basis. Um, it was, it was very, very good and appreciated her having me on to talk about that. Folks, I wanted to do a quick timeout to tell you about this week's sponsor, Blue Apron. You probably have heard of Blue Apron. You've seen their advertisements. I have to tell you, I have tried several of their competitors and then tried Blue Apron and it is fantastic. Um, a lot of people, you're confused because there are so many of these services out there. If you don't know what Blue Apron is, it is a great company that sends you recipes to your house. And not just the recipes, but all the ingredients. In fact, Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. Their mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. You guys know I like to cook, and Blue Apron makes it really easy. And they have great plans to choose from. A two-person meal plan, a family meal plan, a wine plan. My family does the family meal plan. We get two meals a week. For four people, we've done the uh, soy glazed chicken. We've done the um, beef medallions with pan sauce. Last week, we did the Mexican casserole. It's all delicious, and all the ingredients come in the box. They make it really easy for you. In fact, ours shows up on a Thursday uh, by FedEx, and we're ready to cook, and it's good to go. Really delicious recipes, easy to follow along as well. If you're hesitant about cooking, you want to try something a little more than the basics, Blue Apron is the way to go, and Blue Apron is treating listeners of the Eric Erickson show to $30 off your first order if you visit blueapron.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K. So check out this week's menu and get your $30 off at blueapron.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Blue Apron is a better way to cook. And think of it this way. Even the federal government says they want to model a plan after Blue Apron. So go to blueapron.com slash Eric. Y'all, I am trying to set up an interview with Louis Giglio at Passion City Church. Um, I'm, I haven't heard back from his staff yet. I'm hoping to. Uh, and his is going to be one of a number of interviews that I would like to do for the new TV, TV series I'm doing. Uh, I think we're going to wind up calling it The Resurgent Family, actually, and tied into The Resurgent Brand on raising your kids in the 21st century. I'd really like to talk to Louis about how do you engage with millennials and particularly millennials of faith in a culture increasingly hostile to our faith, and also talk to him about human trafficking. Um, Clay Tippins and I have continued our conversation afterwards, uh, after our conversation the other night on human trafficking. But I, I'm I'm really hoping to interview Louis. We've got uh, Nancy Piercy, Nancy Guthrie as well, both of them. Uh, we're looking at Sean McDowell and several others uh, for this new series. I can't wait to share it with you. If you want to sign up for information regarding this Resurgent Family series, uh, it'll be available, I mean, online, on demand, you name it. Um, text uh, FAITH, the word FAITH, to 345-345. I will get you on the list. And essentially, I'm, I'm doing a TV series, 40 episodes. Well, we got to get a five. Uh, we're doing five episodes if we get the commitment um, and the traffic, the ratings, they'll, they'll commit to 40 more on how do you raise a kid, particularly a child of faith, in a world increasingly without it. And not just without it, but hostile to it, without losing your kids to the world. How do you navigate them on social media and, and how do you deal with them on technology, things like that. Uh, very excited to get this going, um, hoping that I'll be able to connect with Louis Giglio to interview him, um, along with everyone else we've got lined up. I think he'd be a great addition uh, for just his ministry work that he does around here. 
Um, again, text FAITH to 345-345. Tomorrow, I want to do something slightly different from what we normally do around here. Charlie and Buffy will probably hate it. Um, but I want to open the phone lines again tomorrow. One more round on gun control. Mostly your thoughts on it as we get out of here for the week. And also your favorite gun stores, because I think I'm going gun shopping this weekend just to show my support for the Second Amendment community. I gave DNRA money last night. They're not my favorite organization, but I supported them last night, and I think it's time to go gun shopping again. So you guys have a good night, and I will talk to you all tomorrow.